We're WSA, and we're in the business of designing environments that work. We create workplaces for all sorts of people, and we've always learned a lot by listening. Why? Because architects who listen are people who design, really design, for others, for everyone, and for all of us. This podcast is about what designers hear when they listen carefully to what people want and what people need. Welcome to Workplace Crafted. Welcome back to Workplace Crafted. I hope that you've been able to enjoy our first few episodes, and we really are hopeful that our podcast is sparking creative solutions for you in the post-pandemic workplace. In today's episode, we'll be holding an internal WSA conversation facilitated by one of our lead design architects, Lauren Miller AIA. Joining Lauren is Todd Boyer, a partner with the firm, and our human resource specialist and a studio leader, Amber Aitken. These folks consider what we all need to think about when we consider corporate culture in a post-pandemic workplace, the types of amenity spaces that seem to be popping up as a must-have, and some specific strategies that we take at WSA to gather criteria. All are part of our custom talent arc designed facilitation process. All right, welcome everyone. This is Lauren right here with WSA. I am an architect at the studio, and I'm sitting here with two lovely humans, Amber and Todd. Amber, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I am Amber. I've been at WSA for a little over eight years, and I do a little bit of everything, but mostly HR. So anything that has to do with the humans, I probably know about. And we've also got Todd at the table. Yes, good morning. I am Todd Boyer. I have been at WSA for 17 years. I'm an architect and I serve as a partner at WSA. So we all know over the past few years here, we've seen a lot of changes in the workplace. We've seen a lot of differences in the way people are working. So I just wanted to check in with both of you and see if you see any connection between the design and business strategies that our clients have come to us, you know, with this evolution of the workplace and the way we are working. Do we see any connections there? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's different now than what it once was. I think it used to be a little bit on the underground before, but now it's a direct challenge and it's at everybody's forefront. So the connection to it being a business decision is just much more in your face than it used to be which is great. I mean, we've been talking about that and we've designed that way for a long time, but now it's just the first conversation that we have, which is refreshing and really helps both parties get to a better solution faster. Can you elaborate on some of those business strategies that are being highlighted in today's workplace? Well, I think that real estate costs are all over the board. And so you respond differently and I think one of the conversations that we tend to have now are your leases, how long people are going to be in that place, what the evolution of their business looks like. We serve so many tech companies that they have a different lifespan than perhaps a healthcare company or you know whatever it is. They all have unique challenges. So the real estate cost is obviously one of the, the first questions in discussions, especially as people are staying at home now versus all just working in, you know, taking up as much space as they possibly can. So that's probably the first one. 
I mean, that's the that's also the easiest one to, to start with. But then you get into the challenges of culture. What does their culture look like now with all of these changes? What is What role does the workplace have in fostering or evolving their culture? So that's a that's another big one. Have you seen any issues with talent attraction or retention that these companies are coming to you with? I think they all have different challenges when it comes to attraction and retention. Retention's a big one now because everybody is deciding, you know, I could do my job at home, which is much more comfortable for me. I get those couple hours back. Uh, I can handle the work-life balance a little bit easier. So, you know, how do you how do you maintain the culture that your company has created or wants to create while balancing people's ability to do their job at home? So the workplace acts as a beacon for people to come to and share in that culture and perform different duties that they can't at home. But it also, it's a balance of how does your culture support the people that do stay home and how does their role at home begin to influence your culture in a different way? So, you know, you have to be aware of that when you're trying to attract new talent is that have you begun to blend the two together versus like, yeah, we'll support you being at home, but really the heart of us is in the office place. People might be attracted to that, but most aren't. They want your culture to extend all the way to them, meet them where they are. So I think that's part of the attraction piece that I think we've run into. Retention, I think a lot of it is how do companies compete in the marketplace against, you know, we live in Columbus where there's insurance companies at every corner. I mean, we do a lot of work for each one of them and, and they look to each other to understand what the benchmarks are and, and where they should be. So they use that as kind of a retention tool. But then again, you know, what amenities can they offer folks that do want to have more balance now, now that that's been introduced into their life a little bit, you know, by necessity, I guess. So, you know, I think that's one of the bigger conversations we're having is how does their workplace extend to home and then back? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of clients are coming to us asking for some help in bridging that gap of culture between the physical workplace and their home office or even a third space like a coffee shop or a co-working space. And I think what we really need and what we're trying to do is trying to understand the core of their values and goals so that we can understand how to capture that culture. So how are you going about capturing those values and goals? Yeah, I mean, those have to be, those have to be solid and represented across the company in so many different ways. I mean, we're talking specifically about the space, but how they engage with each other, how they interact with the community, all that stuff needs to tie back to their goals, their vision, their mission, all that stuff. And I think what we bring to the table is the ability to represent that in space that they can't get at home. They can get those values in different ways, how they engage with their HR partners as they're dealing with you know challenges they have at home. They can have all the swag, <laughs> you know, their water bottles, all that stuff at home, which is which is fine. But, you know, if they want that in the space and they want to feel that in their environment and, you know, kind of that radiate just by the excitement of being there, that's our job. I mean, our job is to help them represent that in a, a clear and authentic way. 
From a human resources standpoint, Amber, have you ran into anything within our office of trying to carry those values and goals outside of our physical workplace? I think it's been, you know, not only people working in all areas or locations, but it's also that we've grown a lot. So trying to keep all of that concise and make sure people are feeling connected and a part of the things we do, what we care about. If it's a bigger organization, I would be super interested to see how they're handling all of that, especially when the teams are forming. We're relying a lot on individuals within that smaller team to stay connected. So, Yeah, I think early on we saw a lot of kind of the swag and a lot of the kind of, hey, remind yourself of where you used to work but bring it home. And I think now we're seeing more of let's bring the workplace back to how we used to use it when everybody was there like after hours even. So having get-togethers, having celebrating birthdays, celebrating work anniversaries, celebrating Independence Day, having those work events where it brings the people that might feel okay at home working and part of the group back into the office to physically be around each other. So I feel even in our space, we're using our kind of common space as more and more to bridge that gap and kind of re reinforce our values and goals in the office. And I think we're seeing that across the board with a lot of our clients. They might be allowed to work from home three days a week, let's say, but they do want to have them in the office two days a week for all of their collaboration efforts and just for kind of a physical check-in. But we're we're seeing more of a shift to hospitality spaces as we're going into these projects because there's a reason to kind of co-create the reason that we have a workplace. So we're being asked to help kind of co-create that rather than just a place for people's workstations and just a place for meeting spaces. It's now a place for people to get to know each other and share those values and basic kind of what makes up their business and their entity in a looser way, in a more hospitality-driven way, in a more authentic way. Yeah, I think that some of the smaller organizations that we work with, I think, do that better. They, it's been easier for them to re-engage because their, their spaces were already destinations. I mean, they a lot of their value was their culture. They were a tight-knit group. They worked really well together. They enjoyed it. So they were they were ready to jump back to get back to the office. I think some of our larger clients still struggle. I think they're, they're struggling with creating the hospitality spaces, creating all these amenities that they think will drive people to come back. We've seen, we've seen some are successful, some are not as much, you know, they've built all these really nice spaces and it doesn't really attract the folks to come back. And, you know, I think we've challenged them or questioned them about why is that? And I think a lot of it is either that's not their culture, you know, that, that really wasn't a strong piece of who they were when they were all together. They were kind of a place that could work remotely and every, it was fine. Like being, being separate was fine. But I think the large organizations are doing just what you said, the hospitality space is trying to find a way to make that stuff happen. And they just have a harder time probably from an HR standpoint to 
have a big party and bring, you know, 500 people back and all that kind of stuff. But the smaller groups, I think it's been, I think they've come right back because they've missed it drastically. But I think you nailed it with, we need to match kind of the space and the culture together. Those need to be married and it doesn't look the same for every business, whether they're small, whether they're large, whether it's an insurance company, whether it's a tech company, their business goals and values are different from one another. And I think we try to truly understand the core values of these companies because it might not look the same. It might not be that they want everybody to come back into the office every day. It might be that they do. And so we try to go through a process to understand that and to prepare them for their future with their space. So can you talk a little about about how we capture those values and goals? Absolutely. I mean, I think that we have, I think we've developed over the years in working with all these different kinds of organizations, a toolbox full of different ways. I'm not a big process person. Like we follow a process kind of thing because I think that is short-sighted. It doesn't respond to all of those unique needs that every client has because they're completely different. Their business is totally different. So, you know, walking in just saying, well, here's the process, here's how we do it. I think you miss a lot. So, you know, you, you have to, you know, you dig through the toolbox to see what can we use to help them get where they want to be. How can we do that? And I think we use a lot of different, well, it ends up being a custom kind of solution as any building and project is it's custom made every time and so you know we use obviously where we put a lot of effort into a programming element which includes uh, visioning sessions it includes all kinds of empathy discussions it includes understanding really getting to the core of what those values are and, and really I mean we have to start off by understanding their values and their goals and that and that seems like it's a just, you know, what's your values and goals? And you just write them down. I think we take it a step further because let's say in a large organization, they've got those on their website, right? And anybody can just say, oh, we filled it out and we got it. Well, then you have to have the conversation with the department, the people that are actually doing, you know, this project is for. What are your actual goals and, and how does that fit into the bigger companies? So you do a little bit of dissection of like what's the business case for this project in general you know you know because I think that's going to drive us that's going to lead us the path that we want to go if we're clear we've really asked some tough questions about why and you know what's the end result what's your goal at the end and, and I think we've done it in the past where a lot of times folks have come to us with we want to do this space. We want to do this. Here's all the goals. And then we'll back them out of doing a space and saying, let's slow down and like look at everything comprehensively to figure out if this is really the right solution and more of a master planning kind of phase. And so I think we use a lot of just those questionnaires, surveys, inquiries about who they are, what the goals are before we even get into the design part or the architecture and interior design part because I think if you if you skip that process of really getting to understand who they are what their business is why they're even here as an organization then you just 
it's kind of a short term solution. So the design could last them a couple of years and, you know, they move on. And, you know, it's, I think we take a lot of pride in the idea that we have to go through this process because for a lot of our clients, this may be the only time they ever renovate a building, build a building, work with an architect, any of those kind of things. So it's a stressful time. They're spending a lot of money. They're, they're putting their trust in us to help them get somewhere. And they think it's, they need it, you know, a space to help them do that. So it's, it's our, you know, it's core to who we are at WSA to really dig into that instead of just provide, you know, basic design solutions. It's really to get to know them, to make sure that experience and all of the trust they put into us is worthwhile and it gets them where they want to go. Who all do you bring to the table for discussions like that? That seems like it can't just be one person from a company. It seems like you need to have multiple people from an organization to get that full picture, to really dive into those deep questions and understand who they are and who they want to be. Absolutely. Who we would like is very different than who we usually end up with. But I think that who we would like is the most diverse group that we can get. And that includes the stakeholders in the organization, as well as who, I mean, we talked about it with the current client is who are your future clients? Like who, we want to talk to the people that you're trying to engage in your business, not just the people that sit in this space every day, but as wide of a group as we can get to get as many perspectives to really bring those together and then sift through them and decide where are the com where's the commonality here and where are the outliers like you know because you're going to get you're going to get all kinds of different viewpoints through those per, through each person's individual lens and you have to kind of sift through those and see like i mentioned the commonality and and really what are the things that are going to help us make sure that we're reaching a wide variety of folks or, or maybe, you know, we may find that the, all of these folks and their opinions of what they need, what they want is different and doesn't align with the business goals or is very different than the folks that are, you know, originally brought us to the table to help them. And that just sparks the conversation again, really says, hey, you know, are we sure we're aligned in what we're trying to achieve here? So if you don't have a big, you know, kind of group of diverse voices, you're not going to get that. And then that space is just going to serve that small group. And, and that's usually not what they're trying to achieve. That just usually are the folks that are, you know, writing the checks and all that kind of stuff that, that want to be in those meetings. So we ask right at the beginning to, you know, obviously who, who is the group that's going to kind of help make decisions and work with us the whole way through, but who else can we talk to? So uh, HR directors, marketing directors, obviously the team lead or whoever is going to live in that space on a day-to-day basis. Who are their customers? You know, as much of that as we can get just provides a much more enriched solution. So diversity within the client's umbrella of, you know, whether they have visitors coming to the space, whether they've got, you know, different groups using this space, who throughout the day are using these spaces. Do we ever bring anybody else from kind of the design team into these early meetings? Are we bringing any consultants, any real estate brokers, 
anybody else that has stakes in how the space is designed and how it's procured? We do in the sense that all of those different attitudes and expertise and knowledge base are, are critical to providing that comprehensive solution. And, you know, I think that we've developed enough relationships over, you know, our 50 some years that we have access to a lot of folks that can help us. I mean, when we, when we talk a lot about the innovation centers that we do and have done in the past, it was critical. We, I used to identify seven steps or whatever of, of things. And, and one of them definitely was the partners that you bring are going to determine the success of an innovation center. So, you know, construction partners, absolutely. Some, some projects may be more challenging than others have certain specialties that we need to rely on folks that, that know how to perform under certain circumstances as well as, you know, brokers that can help us understand, you know, kind of the real estate realities of what they want to do. Furniture partners and dealerships that can help really be a part of making sure the solution is the right one and can last. It's not just a trendy solution kind of situation. So we try to identify those folks right at the get-go. Once we've had the conversations about what the goals are, the business case, all of those kind of we've gone through interviews and understand kind of where we're headed, we like to ask as many folks as we can uh, from, a, from a design team partnership to engage in different ways just to help before we even do projects. I mean, we're trying to talk about doing this before we even start the design process so that it, you know, we can we can do it in a timely manner. Uh, we're not making decisions that we're going to have to go back and redo because we weren't prepared from a costing standpoint. Yeah, I like that you were calling them partners rather than just team members or just here's our design team. This feels like if we're talking about partners, we're talking about a longer relationship than just this one small project, than just this one addition. We, it sounds like we want to be involved in a longer relationship with them. Is that how you view partnership? It is. I, I think that it goes back to the idea of trust. It goes back to just the idea of really, you know, you, folks use partnership in a lot of different ways. For us, it's been really the basis of WSA for the 52 years. I mean, most of our work is referral or repeat business because we take our attitude is about just that we care about what we're doing. We care about our clients' well-being. Uh, it is not a transactional relationship. That's not what we're, that's not what we desire. And a true partnership for us is not, it's, a true partnership is really us understanding what makes them tick. And then also, and, and, and being a partner with not just the organization, but the people there. I mean, when, when we're all, all said and done, those are the things that I look probably the most fondly at, you know, 20 years later is I'm still have the personal relationship. The building the space is probably gone or been torn down by now. Um, but the personal relationship is what I probably cherish the most. And that's who we're making a partnership with. And I think that 
you could go up and down through our organization at WSA. And that's what I think is unique about our, our culture. And so the way that we treat each other is how we treat our clients. So partnership is, it's much more than just a transactional relationship. And I think if you're engaged in understanding their entire challenge, not just that they need more square feet or they've hired 10 more people, but if you really care about what they're doing and what their role is in our community, then you, you go a little bit deeper. And we, that's what I think we find is the most enriching and most satisfying is going deeper. You know, I think that's what we talk about internally is more of what they're doing, like, you know, different clients that we have, what they're doing, what their impact is versus like what our technical solutions are and what product did you use here? I, we very rarely talk about that. We really talk about how can we help and how can we be involved in what they're doing? Cause we're just a part, we're just a part of their business, right? We're the, we help them with the expertise that we have, which is design. And, you know, they have a lot of other things that they're concerned with. And we want to make sure that what we're doing is critical to their whole umbrella of, of what their business is. So you have to be a partner. You have to take that mindset and that attitude and approach every new client and new project in that manner. Otherwise it is just kind of a handshake deal and, and you, we move on. I mean, that's not who we are. So we have tried to communicate that internally for years and years, and it's been wildly successful in the ability to evolve with our clients. Um, as they grow, as they change, we change with them. I think with the partnership that you're talking about and continuing those relationships, a lot of it comes down to accountability. So we're not just designing a space, having a transaction, handing it over, walking away and saying, good luck. We're following up with, sure, a post-occupancy evaluation. We're also following up by just being interested in what they provide to the community, going to events like at the Pass Foundation, going to openings for, you know, any of their new spaces that not only we create, but let's say they're opening another one in another state and we are simply curious and supportive of their efforts and we really believe in them. And with that accountability there, it goes both ways. Like we help, we are able to see how they use the space and help them with their next project and taking in to consideration how they are or are not using a space, taking accountability of the great that we've provided and maybe what we should have done better. So can you maybe point out any of these clients that we've had that we've worked with over the years whose business plans have maybe changed or evolved? Yeah, I think that those are good examples. And we have been able to extend the relationship and the partnership to some of our staff volunteering in their events. And I honestly, I just get engaged or interested in other people's businesses because we're in ours every day. And I just find a lot of enjoyment with understanding, like, what is it that you do? Like, that tends to be the first question I have is like, you know, oh, you're an insurance company. That's cool. So what do you do? Like, I don't, you know, I know basic level, I know I pay my insurance bill every month, but like, how do they operate? How do they? And so those are always interesting questions. And I think it's, 
I'm always encouraged when our staff starts to engage in that same way and then goes, and I say that because a lot of time, like the past foundation, they become actually very interested in what that organization is about and want to get involved in different ways, in ways that they can support that organization. So we've had staff volunteer to be, to be teachers in their summer camps, to, you know, we as a group have gone to their fundraising events. We've done a lot of that stuff. And then, and then they have reciprocated in helping us explore new opportunities where we could, we could help their friends or people they know, you know, much in the way that we helped the past, you know, try and help these other organizations and they help us with those relationships, which is great. And it's, it's kind of one of those things that, like you mentioned, it comes from trust. We've created that trust that we know that the relationship is authentic and it's not just what can I get out of you kind of, kind of thing. And it goes on and on and on. I mean, we've completed work for the past foundation. I don't know, five, five or so years ago, we still are engaged in their events. They're engaged in ours, all of that kind of stuff. And those are, those are the projects that we also show on our website. I mean, those are the projects that were that we cherish the most, not just that one, but I mean, we cherish them the most because it's so much deeper of a relationship. I mean, we have a million wonderful projects that we could put on our website, but the ones that are the deeper relationships for us are the ones that are at the top because they're the ones we really care about on a lot of different levels. The Past Foundation, we started doing work for them before I joined WSA. And I'm still involved in that team where you do projects for them, elaborating on this master plan that you put together in 2014. It's 2022 now. We are taking that master plan, but again, reevaluating their cores, values, their business objectives, kind of coming up with these new projects to make their space better fit who they are today. There are other clients whose business strategies have drastically changed since we first started working for them. In maybe 2018, we were working on a project for a Columbus-based tech company called The Forge, and we did multiple spaces for them here. We did multiple spaces for them in Michigan, and suddenly they had a very big kind of business shift. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Right. I That was a unique challenge that led us in a lot of different directions. They... We're certainly a, a group that we kind of, we felt we understood. We knew everything about their business. And like you mentioned, it completely changed to just bring in different aspects. They were purchased by a larger entity, Accenture, and they took a different strategy of how the Forge, which was a software solutions group, could deliver a better product to more people by including hardware as well as design all together in one kind of speed to value space and solution. So we really, it took us a while to really work with them as they were trying to evolve and figure out what this evolution was going to be. So they were, they were evolving into a completely new entity and a different, a different market. And how could we, evolve spaces with those changes yet still be true to what the forge brand and philosophy was and how they delivered work. 
And then we were asked to do it all over the country, which is another set of challenges. But I think that we did, we spent a lot of time kind of stepping back, trying to understand who they were, what this new business was really about. How are you going to deliver on these promises that they've, that you've made or that you're marketing? And it, you know, after a, after a lot of those hard discussions, we created a pretty unique space, I think, that became kind of the benchmark that we used across the country that solved all of those different challenges, but they all focused around one common thread, which is what the Forge was known for. So I think that was a big, that was a big part of just how the relationship evolved and continues to evolve. So that's an example of a partnership that expanded because of an acquisition. And it was, you know, it really took a lot for the other companies that became a part of the Forge to trust us. And I think a lot of those initial stepping back, really listening and understanding was to gain the trust of these new partners. They had had previous architects that they worked with. We needed them to know that we weren't simply going to impose, kind of do the architect dance of telling them what they were and what they needed to be. Right, or coming in and imposing, this is the forge, this is who you are now. You're right, because it was the blending of three individual companies, one out of Boston, one out of Seattle, and then, and then the forge out of Columbus. And it was stepping back and getting all three of those folks in a room and really understanding their unique cultures, their unique lens, what they brought to this partnership, what they brought to this new company, and trying to find those similarities to, to, to make sure that everyone was included, um, all those diverse voices were heard, so that they all could still have a sense of identity being you know now under this large corporate umbrella, that it wasn't just going to be a forced marriage type of situation they were going to have to just deal with. They could all embrace the new relationships and understand how they could benefit each other, yet be in a be in an environment that's going to take their work to the next level uh, because they were all unique they were all used to being in the space that they were in and this is how we work this is how we do it and how we're us kind of showing up telling them you know well it's good things are going to change how did we how do we do that in a collaborative way where they can see a future that is going to benefit them much like they've kind of been promised as they were, as they were purchased. And I think that some of those tools in the toolbox came, came in handy. And the, but the first one was obviously just building that trust, letting them know that we were listening, letting, you know, kind of repeating back to them who we thought they were and then asking challenging questions about how they were, how they viewed their evolution where they thought this was going to, where it was going to take them. And then trying to, as we went through, it was just kind of a baby step process of understanding their thought process and, and what makes them tick. I think with that trust exercise, we were challenging their existing structure of their space, of their, how each of these three individual entities worked. And so we had to create kind of like this positive climate for them to 
give us all of that information and to trust us to kind of rebuild into a new organizational chart and climate for them. All right, Todd, you mentioned diversity. Yes. So we were really talking about who do we bring to the table for these discussions about understanding who you are, how you work, what is going to be this positive climate for you to be in. Amber, do you, in your HR world, in these organizations that you're involved in, is there a lot of discussion about diversity right now? Yeah, I think the discussion about diversity in regards to the spaces we design, it is important, obviously, on a variety of levels. But bringing more people to the table not only covers the topic of space, it covers the bigger business objective. Because what what we want to try to do is meet the business goals with the individual user goals because people want different things out of their workplace now. So diversity, yes, in terms of making sure the space fits more than just, you know, one person's need. People want different things out of their space, but also businesses want different things out of their space. So they're creating these business goals hopefully with the users in mind, but they only have certain, they only have the lenses they're looking through. So it, ideally we come to a client and they've already done that work to connect that user space with the business goals. But if they haven't, then we kind of are starting from scratch, like helping them create those perspectives. So we want to bring all of these diverse players to the table so that that offers them those different perspectives. I mean, I agree. Bringing a diverse group of people to the table for these discussions of how you want your space to act, how you want it to feel is more and more important. And we can see that clearly now with the diverse way that people are simply working these days. When the office climate has physically changed and people's days have physically changed, it becomes clearer, I think, to a lot of our clients that bringing those diverse perspectives to the table will only create a more productive environment for them. There's not one big paintbrush of how to use the space anymore. There are fluctuating day-to-day, week-to-week, quarter-to-quarter ways of using spaces that for us to truly understand that and for us to truly create an environment that works for them, we need those diverse viewpoints. Yeah. And I think that that's been one of the big changes that we've seen, like you mentioned, that wasn't there before. I think they were very separated prior. And I think that the process that we bring through asking all these questions, really trying to get to what their business goals are has brought those two, the business strategy and the space together more than it ever has in the past. And I think people are understanding the power of design on their business. And I think that that's, that's what is so exciting right now for us. And as we, as we talk to new clients, as we, you know, kind of revisit previous clients, it's just an easier conversation because a lot of them have not made that connection before. And we get to help kind of bring that to the forefront through a lot of the, 
through a lot of diff- different things that different tools in that toolbox that we can bring to help them get there. Yeah, I can't think of any other time that's highlighted that you don't just need the facilities manager in these meetings anymore. We need the HR to be there. We need the department leads because suddenly the way that you're using space has evolved. And who knows if, until we really talk to these um, individuals, if how they're using it right now is how they want to use it in six months, in a year, in five years. So understanding, kind of remapping everybody's understanding of the physical space. Right. So we talk, we talk about partnership. We just talked about wanting to create and hold on to these partnerships with different clients and how those all look a different way. Is there a way that we've captured that in, a, in some form that can be easily understood from the client's perspective? There, there is. And I think that partnership kind of is a connective tissue at WSA. I mean, we approach everything with that spirit of partnership, every relationship that we have, whether it be on the design side, A&E partners to clients as partners, it's, we approach everything with that spirit of partnership. But what we utilize for clients new and, and old is a thing we call the partnership framework. And it's really just exactly, it's kind of like guardrails that we're going to use throughout kind of the early stages of getting to know one another that helps us and helps them understand kind of where we're headed. So if we're trying to build trust with these clients and we're trying to build this partnership, sort of the first things we need to understand are their values, like we already talked about. And that might be as easy as going to their website and seeing their pillars of their community. It might be more difficult than that and trying to really tease out what their true values are. One way or another, we establish those and those usually stay true for our entire partnership. That's kind of what makes up the entity of that business. And then we also have to understand what their business challenges are. And those might be big picture business challenges and or that might be kind of zoomed in more specifically to the project we're working with with them, right? And together with those, we've kind of come up with a project pathway. So that, can you explain what that is a little bit? Yeah, I think the project pathway is, is really a tool that we use to explain how this will probably go. Like if we kind of lay out the roadmap of where a project, you know, kind of the different phases, the, the length of time, all the kind of steps that are going to be along this, along this path and along this journey, it's, it's there so that they understand, like I mentioned before, they've, they've probably never done this before. They've probably never built anything. They've probably never worked with an architect before. You know, what's it like? What do I need to do? It's really trying to be as transparent as possible from the get go about all the different ways, you know, this, this might happen. So the project pathway is explaining as much as we can so that folks feel comfortable along the process. They're not surprised by anything. They don't look back going, Oh, I wish we would have done this. I wish we would have done that. They can see, you know, kind of where the little kind of steps that we want to take that we think are important 
to helping them achieve the goals that they have. And that's also one of those elements is you mentioned kind of getting and you know, making sure that we document what the client's kind of values and goals are. We share with them what ours are. We share with them what our what our goals and what our values and what our kind of, you know, the things that we care about are to make sure that they align. I mean, because the last thing that we want to do is act as though we're building trust when in fact we don't really work. We're not going to work well together because we have different objectives and we come, you know, at things completely differently from a value standpoint. So we want to make sure that they understand what our values are from the get-go so that they understand the approach that we're going to take. So when we say, and, and, you know, when we say disruption, which is one of ours, that we're not looking to, you know, like we look at it as a positive disruption in the sense that we're going to ask questions, we're going to challenge, we're going to look for the uniqueness that is your business. We're not here to just mess things up in a disruption way, but we're here to really kind of flip it on its head and look at things from all sides. And then obviously design, one of our one of our core values. We're a design firm and that why, that's why you've come to us. We're gonna push design. We're gonna challenge you with different solutions. We're gonna make you think about it. It might be a little uncomfortable at times depending on you know what we come up with, but we're also gonna give you lots of different options. It's not just a, here's what we do, take it or leave it. Uh, we're going to go through a long process of design solutions that will come at the problem in a lot of different ways, trying to find one that best aligns and that best supports all the, the different challenges they have. And then you mentioned the building trust. The final one is accountability. That's really, that's all about that trust piece. We're not just going to leave folks hanging. We are accountable not only to, you know, to them, but to ourselves. Like we, we have to be accountable to our goals, to our values, to our staff's interest in design and, and how we approach things that, you know, we're going to be accountable all the way through. So we're not just going to do design for design's sake. Uh, we're going to be accountable to your schedule, to your budget, all of those things that, you know, they worry about they're concerned about in this new process that they've never kind of gone through before. So we want to make sure that we're as transparent about those values from our standpoint, from the get go too. And that project pathway just kind of shows folks how those all kind of come together as we march forward and, and so that they can be prepared and, and they're comfortable with every step along the way. So this framework in general also gives our people internally a language to talk about. So we're all on the same page. Our clients get the same sort of, I know it's not a process, but they have the same understanding with you as you taught as they would with you, Lauren. So it's just a combination of all of the efforts so that the language is universal and transparent and not confusing. It takes all of the the lingo out of it yeah. so that to bring that comfort level, that expectation level is set. Um, you're absolutely right. It's that common language that is much more accessible, which is tends to be our calling card. I would say at WSA is that we pride ourselves on the ability to be accessible to all of these kind of things. It's it's we, our goal is for this not to be an intimidating process but to be an enjoyable environment to, to kind of, 
do these things because we understand that they have other jobs that they're trying to do while they're building these spaces and all those things and that we're here to support them and and uh, help them get where they need to be. And we're a growing company too, WSA. So having that transparency internally also helps us with our retention and attraction process that we kind of share those strategies with our clients as well. You know, we, we go through the same struggles that they do and putting us on kind of the same page and sharing those objectives with each other does build trust, I think. Right. So I think even before the pandemic, like we all see 2020 as this radical shift in how people worked and exposed a bunch of issues or um, potential solutions that could bring a company back together. But even before that, we were seeing some of these insurance companies struggle with retention. There was an old business model that a lot of people bought into and aged through. And there was a large drop-off, I believe, with attracting new talent into these spaces. And that new talent was going to the new shiny spaces like the new tech startups. So we have these insurance companies that are losing their numbers and a few years ago, we started getting calls about how do we physically attract new talent and how do we retain the talent that we have? Well, we we were approached in 2015. 14. 14, thank you, by an insurance company. It's changed names now. It was called Motorist Mutual Insurance at the time. was facing that exact challenge. Their median... I think media employee age was like 48 or 50 years old. Uh, and we're really struggling to attract new talent to help them stay relevant in the marketplace. And one of the things that they had discovered or one of the kind of business goals that they had, had come to fruition was they needed to start investing in technology to change the way they do business, which you know, that, that was a big step for them. And they felt that that would also begin to attract a different type of talent, but they needed to change how they delivered their services. And so they were really going to invest in the use of technology, but really were not set up to do that. So their existing building was based on the traditional ways they delivered all of their services. So they asked us to help create a master plan to really how do you transform their 21-story tower into a facility that can support that different, that different business model, which is totally foreign to them. And so, you know, that's a, it was a good example that we were able to kind of go through that process with them. So they were changing their business model, you know, who they were going to be, what they were going to be about with evolving their spaces to support that. And so at Incova, we created a whole new model, business incubation space that helped create kind of a technology hub for them to go on that process, to go on and create these different um, business units through technology. And so we found that those kind of processes and, and those kind of changing of spaces and attitude did huge for attracting talent. One of the, well, it's kind of crazy to admit, it also had the flip side. It also built a little bit of animosity 
in the workplace because the folks that had been there for a long time and they were not part of the new technology driven business, you know, were kind of questioning how come all this new stuff gets excitement, gets their space renovated. They get, you know, they're kind of the new shiny object and, and us folks up here on the 17th floor don't really get much attention in the accounting department or whatever it was. And that was part of just a change management piece that we had to go through within Cova. Well, who is now in Cova, just helping, helping the entire organization understand that it was not just a, a short-term solution. This master plan was set up to change the attitude throughout the corporation and that, you know, they were going to see drastic changes throughout that was going to support this kind of new attitude and attract talent and keep all these folks in a, in a new, in a new way. So the changes were going to come to every space and they have, I mean, we still continue today to make changes and evolve that building to support who they are today, which is now in Cova. They went through that, that early process of kind of changing into technology, which changes their business model. They became more attractive to other, other larger uh, insurance corporations and they were bought out and are now in Cova, but we still continue to deliver that same master plan because the vision was clear I mean, it was straightforward. And so we've, we've done that and it's all those changes have kind of gone all the way through their tower and they have a completely different environment, a different leadership, different staff than they did when we started. But the space is completely relevant to who they are today because it was considering where they wanted to go way back in 2014. Yeah, and where they wanted to go way back in 2014 was this big, beautiful master plan that, you know, sometimes those big plans don't always come to fruition right at the beginning. But I think that's a testament. I mean, that master plan that you guys did was for a complete overhaul of two or three buildings downtown. And there wasn't the money behind it at that time, or there wasn't kind of the oomph behind it from the people that were still working at this company. But it created, again, kind of this framework for these designs as we go through so that we are going towards that same goal, even though it doesn't have to be the big, massive $60 million renovation. Yeah, that the framework just allows you, I mean, it becomes a reference tool throughout these years to look back on and say, well, this is why, this is where we were headed. These were the decisions that we made along the way. Or do they make sense still today? Are we still headed at that same location? Yeah, things can bounce around in that framework and things evolve, but you're staying on a consistent path. And I think that that's one of the things that the employees at Encova can see and they appreciate. So they know it's coming to them at some point if they're not already in a space that's been renovated. They can understand what that, where that path is headed, why it's being done. Whereas at the very beginning, when I was talking about the animosity of the space, it wasn't very clear why. That framework had not been shared, had not been communicated across the organization to really know what was happening and why, why we were starting where we were. But yeah, the, the framework comes in really, it's a critical, critical piece of the continued success uh, of those spaces and, and making sure that they can continue to attract the, the top talent. 
You've been listening to the latest episode of Workplace Crafted, a podcast brought to you by the design studios at WSA. I am Tim Hawk, your host. Our guests today included Lauren Miller, Todd Boyer, and Amber Aitken, all members of the WSA Quack Squad. Thank you so much to each of you for your participation. You can follow Lauren at Lauren underscore Elise underscore, Todd at R Todd Boyer, and Amber at Ambonic on Instagram. Today's message was clear. In a post-pandemic workplace, there's a lot more to consider than the functional needs of the workers. If your organization wants to retain and attract talent, there's so much more robust conversation to be held. And our WSA Talent Arc Design Facilitation process can be a key to your success. Our theme music has been brought to you by Tommy Hecker. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe to the Workplace Crafted podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or your favorite source for timely information. You can also follow us on Instagram at WSA Studio. Our executive producer is Ryan Gann, and today's episode was edited by Spencer Hawk out of our Chicago studios. Up next, we explore the nature of co-working. Matthew Kissaberth from WSA will facilitate a dialogue between Kirsten Shealy, studio leader at WSA, and John Watkins Jr., a principal with Cohatch, a leading national co-working brand that allows you to work the way you want to work near where you want to be. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we look forward to our next time together on Workplace Crafted. <laughs>